This is not an expert podcast. We'd be going up first. Yeah. Every single time I've brought up going to Maine, everybody goes, oh, you would love Maine. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I want to. I want to know what that means. Maine is apparently a very beautiful place. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Every single time I've brought it up, people are just like, oh, you would love there. And I don't, I don't know what they mean by it, but I want to. Uh, you I would love it there, Megan. People you know that, that, yeah, like, that have not lived in Maine but have visited think that you would love Maine. So think about that. That means that the places that they visited, they think that you would also like. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should have gotten them. Yeah, but do, do they say that because people there are similar to me or because there's just dogs running around that you can just scoop up and take home or do well, they I have no idea what's in Maine besides like lighthouses and lobsters. <laughs> I all love I know. lighthouses and lobsters. <laughs> but are you for real? There's just stray dogs in Maine? No, no. I was just saying like hypothetically. Things that would be Things great that would be Megan. appealing to me Things Megan would like. Being able to scoop up animals and take them home. And be like, you're mine now. And like walk off with them. But only a limited amount of animals. Only enough that she would be able to see and take home at any given time because the thought of there being other strays that she had to leave behind is too much Mm. honestly i saw my first stray dog in texas and that was a lot for me to handle because like i knew i guess in theory that there were stray dogs but in execution it was so much like different than i expected because there's this dog who is very skinny probably very diseased who i want to help but i can't go help because they probably have rabies and they're growling at me if I try to get close. Like, it, it's a very difficult, like, yeah. internal struggle. And it was, like, in Dallas. Like, in Dallas proper. Oh, you would hate India. And so, I, yeah, I probably would. Um, no offense. <laughs> like, it just was so, like, I wanted to help so bad. And not being able to was extremely difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm not equipped with the faculties to, like, you know, I'm in shorts and a tank top. Like, maybe if I go in with something to protect me a little bit more. But I don't know. I still haven't seen a stray dog in Colorado. I'm sure that they're there. Like, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But I just haven't been faced with one. And I don't think I've seen one here either. I, I don't think, think I've seen one. a stray. Normally, yeah, sure. metro areas have a good amount of rescues it's a good problem to have but a lot of rescues struggle to stay afloat because there are so many other rescues and Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah that's a good problem to have but it's also like there are all of these rescues that are really struggling and none that are really succeeding because of that Mm -hmm. um but uh Regardless, most metropolitan areas have a good network, and so you won't really see them unless you're in more rural mm-hmm. areas. Um, the one the one in Denver that I got captain from, they would go down to New Mexico and pick up, like, dogs from Native American reservations, and they would pick up dogs from, like, um, shelters outside of the Al- Albuquerque area because they were mm-hmm. kill shelters, so they would take those. Um, Captain was from a Native American reservation. Um, but, uh, I mean, like, they, they just go down, all the way down to New Mexico to get, like, dogs that they can help. Mm-hmm. 
they don't even focus on dogs in Colorado because everybody is. Do you know where exactly like Captain was from? Like what Mm-mm. location? No, I don't. Um, I know that she's from a Native American reservation. I know that she's from New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really it. You don't know her address? How are you going to send her? Oh, I know her cards? address. It's the same as mine. I'm going to say, it's, it's, this, it's this address. <laughs> yeah. pretty her sure. previous it's address. It's the same as mine. I would never. Oh, I know her previous address. It's the same as mine was. <laughs> so you can go back like three or four previous addresses, and I'm pretty sure they're all the same. Uh-huh. No, that's one thing I was telling Kevin. I feel really grateful about um, being able to, like Sparrow I've had for a long time, Captain I've had for a long time, Jack I've had for a long time, and I was able to move with all three of them. Mm-hmm. And there's no question, like, they are my animals. They're always going to move with us. Like, there's nobody contesting, I guess, um, my ownership, which is something that is definitely something that I take for granted, but it's really nice. Mm-hmm. So, what else is nice is Cold War. Wait, this is... This is not an expert podcast, and uh, today it's going to be a dev episode. Uh, who is dev, you ask? He's sitting right across from me. My name is Kevin. My name is Megan. And my name is Dev. And it's Jaboy Michael. And we're in for a follow-up on our Cold War Part 1 episode that was released probably a little over a month ago. Uh, I know you guys have been waiting, anticipating. Uh, Dev is coming back at you with the continuation. I think we left off last time at Weapons of Mass Destruction. Yeah. Please. Okay, so we're all familiar with pretty much the death race that humanity had in order to see who could have more weapons that would killed the world over a number of times. Like, by a certain amount of time, we had enough to completely annihilate every single, like, square inch of the planet pretty much ten times over. And yet, we kept on going and kept on going and kept on going. And we're, st- we're going to analyze, or we're still just going to talk about how does a mentality like that go forward, Right? Because it isn't very easy to mass produce weapons. Like, especially of a new caliber, the amount of industrial advancements it takes, the amount of political, I don't want to say advancements, but political maneuvering that it takes, uh, and the amount of militaristic strategy like and defense changes you have to have, you know. So... Earlier, the last episode, I started talking about the Cold War to pretty much, like, draw, like, a sort of a line as to why we are the way we are today, right? Like, what are we? Like, we're in our, you know, 20s. So, pretty much our knowledge of the world, of what we have seen, is comes from this century, right? And in order to understand how this century was molded by the politicians, right? That they're the same politicians who created policies during the Cold War as well, right? So as much as we would like to think like, oh, we're out of sort of that mentality. Oh, the Cold War has ended now. It isn't that necessarily uh, clear cut. It's like, sure, we don't have a singular enemy that we have to fight, but 
the mass changes that we had to go through in order for something like that to happen are still very evident. So let's go back to basically setting the scene, right? We're still in Cold War. We're still, you know, um, we're hot out of World War II, one of the most bloodiest wars for the world. And every, or most countries were affected somehow by it. Most of them very negatively. You know, Europe was basically suffering from, it was recovering from being a war-torn torn continent. And something like that requires a lot of lot of lot of help, you know. And where is that help going to come from, right? Like we always talk about how history is written by the victors, right? In this certain war, the two victors were U.S. and the Soviet Union, right? As soon as the war was over, they started taking part in divvying up their shares of what it is that they could claim. And we talked about the Berlin Wall, right? We talked about how the economic controversies of basically the U.S. and the Soviet Union at that time clashed to make a city in the middle of Russian territory just half divided between capitalism and communism. Right. There was an entire wall around the western half to keep everyone locked in. And that, uh, and Berlin is all the way, it's like a hundred miles plus in into the Soviet Union territory. So we, uh, last time we talked about how the U.S. came together and supplied and had their, uh, the Berlin airlift in the 1949s, how they supplied all these um, people basically that were trapped in by the Soviet unions and they were in more or less a siege, right? And what eventually boiled out of that is clash of economics, right? That US wanted to prove to everyone every single country that capitalism is the way to go forward. Uh, Soviet Union, on the other hand, they said that power to the people, you know, like having a, sing uh, having a singular entity that controls the country's resources is better so that we can be more efficient in creating what we want to create, you know, like having one goal as a nation in order to progress. Um, so two distinct ideologies started to boil down and right after the war it did not help that Truman went around making speeches to basically use scare tactics on the American public like y'all have all heard of the like the mid to late uh, 1900s Russian propaganda right the Red Scare right like they're all use they're all using these insane propaganda tactics like to basically make the people believe what it is that they have to believe in order to fund this insanely expensive avenue of conflict you know and so and that's where we get into the economics of the cold war 
right? Like, we look at today and we look at our uh, military spending. What was it? what was the last budget? Like seven hundred billion dollars, right? Like That's something insane. Yeah. Too much. Too much is always the answer. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But why? Why did it get su- such so way uh, such a way that it's n- first off? I want to say uh, that normally we would consider okay, we're about to go into a war, and production's got to ramp up. Yeah, right. We got to feed the more of the. Uh, GDP into the military so that we can have a better protection and we can prepare for the oncoming war. But then there is a post-war de-escalation, right? That the economy, you know, goes back into producing goods for the people and not is is not controlled by pretty much like a military military industrial complex. And so there was this one paper by Robert Higgs and he basically analyzes what is happening. He takes public opinion, he takes government spending to straight up military, government spending in infrastructure, and he takes into account private spending of you know equity. And he maps it from like 1950s until like 1990s, pretty much the four decades of like heavy cold war. And so there were three great mobilizations during the entire Cold War. First one was from 1950s to 1953, which was the North and South Korean conflict, which were the Korean Wars. There's the 1965 to 1968, which were the Vietnam War. And then there's 1978 to 1987, which is the Iran-Iraq Wars. And and then in 1979, Soviets invaded Afghanistan. So U.S. perpetually mobilized their forces to respond to something like that. You know, these are all drawn out in history, right? Like these conflicts haven't happened right next to each other, right? So he was analyzing that after each of these conflicts, what you would expect the country's spending to return to a state of normalcy, it never did. You know, our country forced basically everyone to stay in a controlled fear environment for the Red Scare in order to convince the public that we have to fund this huge crusade against the Soviet Union, that it is our only, that It is your goal in life to make sure that the Soviet unions do not succeed in expanding communism throughout the world, right? And so as we get into the economics of things, I want to identify what each country, not each country, at least what the general idea of everyone was. So you were a war-torn country in, uh, in Europe, okay? You're only responsibility or the only thing you want is to have a low consumption economy and a high savings economy so that you can build yourself back up right but one of the things that Soviet Union focuses on is also a low spending or low consumption for uh, consumers and then a high savings economy so that the government can spend all your money right you can see that these two ideologies 
like for a country that's worn tone, war torn, it can be very attractive to submit to such an ideology. It's like, oh, it's like we need that. We need that right now, so that is what is good for us. But in order to control the growth of communism, right? That's what pretty much Truman's entire speech was about that we talked about last time was they wanted to control the Soviets. That was it. So in order to do that, what better way than to assist the countries that were in economic turmoil? What better way than to create a high consumptions, low saving economy for those countries, right? Get them on board, get them hooked onto consumerism, right? Buy whatever it is um, that you want. Michael and I strategize in a sieve as well with religions. We just get them to buy into our religion and Mm -hmm. then we have heavy amounts of influence in any region. Well, I mean, that is a... (laughs) Or it's very similar to how, <laughs> basically, you know. I mean, all I'm saying is that's the same premise. You get them to buy into but something, it, and then you have heavy amounts of influence. Free win. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine, like, U.S. help from such a rich country, now that it's so rich, like, helping you out, trying to make things, you know, better for you. It's such, it's an even more attractive thing than the commies next door or, or, you know, the Soviets next door who want to take control the government, you know. And however it is that they imagined it, they had many different ways of looking at it. A lot of them looked at to it as, oh, they're going to save us. And some of them, uh, a lot of them looked at it as, oh, they're going to destroy our way of life, you know. So for better or worse, the U.S. imposed their capitalistic economy on a lot of these European countries uh, at that time because they wanted to stop the spread of communism, right? And you can't just impose a certain type of economy elsewhere and then not expect things to change drastically for the economic regime back home, right? Because that is expensive. Stuff like that is extremely expensive. So for a long time, the U.S. has and still has the mentality of a high consumption and a low savings economy. We look at today, and that's basically what it is, right? Everyone just, you know, buys whatever, and, you know, a lot of, you know. So you can see that it boils down to, you can sort of see the small steps, but obviously it's not the same at all. But, and just slowly piecing together that what happened in the previous century, our ideologies as a country, and what is carrying over the way we live today. So one of the things that the paper also talks about is how conveniently struggles and conflicts popped up across the world in order to support the U.S. military's budget. You know, that think of news today, right? I bet you you can take the smallest act of terrorism and you can blow it up to epic proportions that will cause an entire country to declare war on another, right? And that's today with all this internet and all of this access of information to us, right? Imagine in like the 50s and 60s, what the newspaper told you was exactly what was going to happen. Like, you know, that there's no, like, there's no, multiple sources of information so what you're getting is basically what you're meant to get 
you know. So a lot of that was affected by our wartime policies. Uh, you guys have heard of like black box spending, right? Have you guys heard of that? No. So basically, in every single military budget since like the 50s, there's an amount of money that cannot be scrutinized over. That is it. There is no congressman, no senator, no nobody can tell you what this money is used for. So you can imagine that it's probably not used for something that would be publicly, you know, like that a public would want or it would be for the public, right? So every single budget has had that and it has been increasing and increasing and increasing irproportionally, irproportionally to the amount of actual spending we have for the military. So every year, more and more money goes into these black box funded military, basically operations that we will never ever find out Maybe in like a hundred years we might, but for now we will never find out. And that sort of thing has been carried over from the Cold War. When, when you can scare every single person in your country to be opposed to this one entity, you can get them to shill out money for anything, you know? And during this entire time, people saw drastic increases in taxes, but it was, again, justified by some conflict would pop up on the other side of the world and it would get blown out of proportion in the U.S. media and the Congress is like, we have to act, you know. So, and these were very intentional things and the person says that in there. Like, there was a... So, one of the very real example is the, um, the Gulf of Tonkin, which was in uh, 1964, okay? And this was a fight in the South Asian uh, Sea, okay? And the Gulf of Tonkin, that specific fight was later found out to be a complete ruse set up by the national intelligence, literally to feed information to Congress and you can guess which war it started. Vietnam War. It was a direct relation to everyone getting scared and the entire country coming together and it's like, oh, we have to do something about that. So let's fund this massive conquest on the other side of the world and let's just see what happens, you know? Because that was a war declared by the Congress. It wasn't just the president be like, yo, uh, fuck that country, we're just gonna go take it over. There's some commies there. You know, it was an entire war waged by Congress, you know, and it was basically set up to fund the military complex of the United States in order to keep the economy going. Because that sort of money, if you take it out of circulation, at least that's what they think. You take it out of the military industrial complex, the world is gonna fail, right? And so many of these defense contractors had the public convinced, the congressmen convinced, 
the presidents that came after that convinced that this is the way to go and there is no alternative. Right? If you decrease the military's budget, this country is going to fall. And that sort of scare, that sort of fear was instilled in America for 40 years, you know. And so that doesn't just go away. Even in another 40 years, you know, we're, what, 30 years in into that? So even in another 40 years, it's not just going to go away, right? So that's one of the reasons why our military spending is so high today. Because that's the time where, like, Boeing... Lockheed and all of these other defense contractors and manufacturers made it big, right? They fed off of the U.S. government and the taxpayers' money, and they got so big and big and big and big and big, and they keep continue to getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And especially when we take today's econ economy into view, right? It's all about growth, expansion, right? So what do these companies have other than to try to keep growing, try to keep convincing the public for more and more money, more and more resources, or what? They're going to fail because a business, if you stop running, you fail. Like, you know, that's it. So that sort of mentality is carrying over. And right, like we wonder, it's like, why are we spending so much money? It's because it came from an entire half a century long ideology that oh, we have to uh, annihilate this one single entity. We have to produce and consume as much as humanly possible. We have to push ourselves to the limit in order to basically fight this enemy, right? So y'all have heard the phrase death and taxes, right? Yeah, no, um, but nothing's guaranteed except get death and taxes, something like that. I'm just yeah. saying it wrong, but it's long so the effect. only time that... The public perception ever affected the military spending was death and taxes. Either it was a bunch of U.S. soldiers dying overseas that made people reconsider this insane investment in the military, or their pockets getting slimmer because of taxes. Mm, right. So that's when the uh, public was like, "Oh, you know what?" Maybe what, how much we are spending is not right. But then, bam, another scare shows up. Like, oh, this country is invading this country. We have to do something. And the entire military-industrial complex winds right back up, and it's going to do what it did for 40 years, which is to basically warmonger, right? A cold war, like a war that we didn't see on our soil, and neither did Soviet Union, but it wasn't very cold when you move around the world, right? Mm -hmm. There were a lot of conflicts going on, and a lot of lot of people died. Look, like the Iran Iraq, with that conflict, not only influenced like the late uh, 1900s, it influences things till today of what happened, right? Like it's the reason that we're still in the Middle yeah. East. Think about North and South Korea. Right? They're still in a war. They're still in a war till today, right? And that's a, a direct result of the Cold War. Also a direct result of North Korea being, you know, a bunch of dicks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, pretty yes. direct yeah. result of North Korea being True. kind of assholes. But how is it that they separate themselves into a communist and a capitalist regime, right? 
is very much a Cold War thing, right? Like, a lot of U.S. soldiers died for that same conflict, you know? And what was the third one? It was obviously the Vietnam War, yeah. right? A war where Hindsight, we lost, what, tens of thousands of people, and Vietnam lost hundreds of thousands of millions, troops. Millions. Millions of troops. And they kept sending them in, and that's the only reason we left, is because they weren't giving in. Yeah. That, we that, lost, like, a fraction, less than a tenth of what Vietnam lost, and we that was too many losses for us, but Vietnam was, was still pushing back. Yeah. So we lost that war. Yes, you heard it here. We lost the Vietnam yeah. War. It was a loss. It was a conflict. It was a lost yeah. war. Yeah, see, that... People do that so much, and it's the most aggravating thing. Because it's an American framing, you know. Exactly, reframing. right? So we joke about it, but what do you think people write in history books? Do you think people write, oh, we lost the Vietnam War? Do you no. think they write the truth at all? No. Oh, wow. no, no, they don't. Exactly. What? Right? That's so, so Maybe everywhere else in the world, everyone's like, America lost that. But over here, yeah. we're like, now we win everything. Yeah. Well, been- we've never lost a war. It's been uh, a little over 150 years since Andrew Jackson's been president, and only in the last couple of decades have we started, like, in schools teaching people about how bad of a president he was. Mm. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Anyways, continue. Yeah, who wants to tarnish the <laughs> founding fathers of Me. fucking... I would love to. Let's dive in. I'm, I'm now this is a Megan episode. <laughs> oh, maybe Let's I'll just do. the founding fathers and how each of them was a little bit trash. People are allowed to be shades of gray. Yeah. Just because you idolize them doesn't mean that they need to be black or white. Well, all white in the case of the Founding Fathers. But. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That was a good one. <laughs> I like it. But yeah, Vietnam Wars. And then the Iraq-Iran Wars are just ridiculous. Yeah. You can tell that if you truly boil them down, they were not meant for our true ideology of what actual legit Americans would consider what an American ideology is. They were very much perpetuated by people who had a lot to lose from not going into a conflict. Just to add to how it's still affecting us to this day, more or less, um, it's September 12th that we're recording this. Yesterday was September 11th. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, the 19th anniversary of 9-11 uh, terrorist attacks, which was a direct result of the U.S. backing uh, Saddam Hussein in Afghanistan uh, to fight the Soviet Union yeah. during the Iraq-Iran wars. So we fucked ourselves on that one, y'all. You know, Additionally, and, woo, um, comparatively, and not to say that 9-11 was small because it wasn't. It was tragic and there were lots of lives lost. Comparatively to other nations and their tragedies and their terrorist attacks and things that we have done to them, we lost a relatively small amount of people. True. Again, mm-hmm. not to overwrite or say that it's not a tragedy because it is. However, if we're going to look at that through the lens of the tragedy, like it's a tragedy, then we need to look at what we're doing to other countries, how many people yeah. we're killing in other countries with our terrorist attacks and how many people we're killing because we're killing easily two three times as many people yearly like not even yearly like monthly we are killing so many fucking people and so if our 3,000 people is a tragedy then their 10,000 people also needs to be a tragedy and we need to look at that like that's kind of the way that I see it and like it's 
so complex, right? I think that people have this mentality that your enemy is always visible, you know? And that's not how today's world works, you know? Like, so one of the things was, I was going to get to it later, but one of the things it says is that it was almost easier to have Soviet Union as our enemy. Because we knew the big bad bear was going to get us. So that was it. That was our focus, right? And today, the conflicts that we are a part of are so broken up, so nuanced that, like, no strategy, no global strategy like that that we have perfected over the past hundred years is going to help us, you know? Like it's a, and we keep trying to apply pretty much the same, like, strategies or the same type of basically idealist mentality into other countries and we never learn from it, right? And one country after another, you can tell what happens after U.S. influence, not just U.S. influence, it can be UK influence, it can be like Israeli influence, it can be Arabic influence. You can see how each country goes from one turmoil to another, right? Just because that in the past there were so many moving pieces that it takes a long, 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 long time for them to first off die out and people's mentality to reset. It takes a very long time. So for 40 years, these are the politicians that we have today. When they were young, they chose to elect these policies. They were in the heart of Cold War. They grew up on it. So all their life, they know nothing but paranoia and fear against an enemy and how to make people open up their wallets to contribute even more into the paranoia and fear, right? So very much you can see like the parallels of what we have today and how it boiled down from the previous century right that's that's basically what this is about you know um like there would always be some bogus uh fight that would pop up you know it's like oh you know what we haven't had a we haven't had an uh, uprising in military funding in a little bit you know what i heard about this terrorist attack that happened completely unrelated and let's blow it out of proportion in our media and make everyone think it's like yep this is it this is where we need to go right now and if you say otherwise you're either a commie or you're not a patriot right like that's like oh like if you say anything opposed to america you're not a patriot and that's it right that's As you label that i told you guys was frustrating like on facebook yesterday is that people were like 9-11, like, let's treat every day like 9-11 when, you know, we were all united as one, which is like, okay, neither here nor there. But then a lot of them would close, like, America first, America yeah. always. And I was like, fucking, why? Why <laughs> America first? Why America always? Like, why? What do and we also, do? <laughs> and also, we aren't even America. We're the United States of America. America is like North America, South America. Yeah. Like, it's so dumb. I mean, I could pick apart every single part of that, but I never understand, like, the America first. 9-11 was the last day that we really remembered to put America first. Why? Yeah. Why do we need to put America first? We're kind of garbage. <laughs> Kind of our garbage. It's true. The only thing we're first in is coronavirus deaths. That is Which it. means Woo! we're the best. <laughs> According to Trump, yeah. that means we're the best. Number one. So, 
Y'all have all heard. What accent was that? <laughs> number one! US! America number, number one. one! Does anybody have the launch codes? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> That's... <laughs> so, like y'all have heard of the India and Pakistan conflict, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. always in the news. It's known as the biggest countries right now fighting each other. So, in the Cold War, America, uh, India sided with Russia, or at least had Russian influence, because if that's basically how, what they wanted in their economy at that time. A billion and one, pretty much a billion people got their freedom from the English, and they were just looking for influence, right? They were looking to get influenced by someone. And it happened to be that U.S. chose Pakistan for its base. And what was India left to do? Side with the Soviets in order to get their influence. So in order to fight these proxy wars that we talked about last time, America funded these terrorist groups in Pakistan with billions of dollars. And those terrorist groups eventually went to just completely radicalize the movement in Pakistan and it has slowly boiled down to the India-Pakistan aggression, you know, over decades. And India and Pakistan are also very, very, very much to blame here because their hatred or their perception of hatred that's just been perpetuated by Indian and Pakistani politicians is very much to blame too. You know, Let's not remove the blame years. from Britain on this one, okay? They oh, were, they, uh, had they a huge hand in the Muslim oh, yeah. versus uh, Hindu conflicts yeah. before they left. And then when they left, they just kind of yeeted out of there with all of their like yeah. structure and shit, too. So, so Britain's to blame here, too. Did you know that the person that the British put in charge of dividing the Indian territories, did you know that they gave him one day to do it? <laughs> one day <laughs> to divide all of India and Pakistan's territory. One day. And I'm not even joking Just with you. Just put a piece of graph paper on top of it and be like, there you go. It's done. Just, yeah, that's there basically you go. what he did. Yeah. And you can tell how shitty that was and what we have today because of that, you know, partially because of that, you know. And like, so the um, back to U.S. propaganda on its own taxpayers. So there were always the scare of Soviet is spending more. You know, they're spending more, they're doing this, they're doing that. But so it was not recently, but it was pretty much like, okay, so Russia, Soviet Union had 175 divisions for the army. Okay. A third of them were un, uh, undermanned and a third of them were undergunned. So basically, that sort of scare, like that sort of like realization went under the radar. It's like, oh, maybe they have a bigger army, but thinking about how underprepared they are for an actual conflict, maybe we don't need to add 30, 40 more billion dollars to our budget and we'll be okay with what we have right now. But obviously, people have a lot to lose from losing that much money. So this is where the sphere of basically 
influencing your congressman, like, you know, it sort of like came about by corporations. So a lot of books refer to as the Iron Triangle, okay? It's a triangle for military, industry, and the congressional district, right? So you can imagine that that is a very deadly combo. And we can see a lot of that today. And it was about spreading misinformation, disinformation, you know, like not giving the right people the right voice to be heard and be like, okay, our military needs this. Our Congress, because of the public fear, is going to approve it. And then our industrial complex that's run by these giant defense contractors are going to benefit off of it, right? And But in that very critical key component in that, was public opinion of the war, right? Like a lot of what we, you know, we decided to pull out the Vietnam War is because back home there was all this shit going on that we don't want to fight this. There was such a growing movement of we're fighting the rich man's war and no one wants that, you know? Because of, like I said, death and taxes, right? Death rates went up for US soldiers and taxes on US citizens went up. You know, so they all had to reconsider everything with uh, what was going on and be like, yo, this is enough. We have to reel back. And there's very, very few moments like that throughout the Cold War because everyone was living in a state of perpetual fear and paranoia just caused from, let's say if you take in 90s, right? On the previous 35 years of your country telling you that this person is the enemy, and that is it. Imagine from the day you grew up until the day you're gonna turn 40, you have been told that there is this country that's out to get you and that is it. They want nothing other than to destroy you, your way of living, and if you don't fight against that, you are not a patriot, you know? So, like, you can, you can tell that we started talking about the economics of it, right? But the economics of it isn't isolated from anything else because we are people, we are the economy, and our opinions on things does matter. Basically, that's what I wanted to, you know, like discuss. Like, what do you guys think? Shit's fucked. Shit's fucked. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think shit is fucked right now, but yeah, this is what I wanted to bring about. It's like, you know, how did we get here? At least to some aspect of it, you know, bring it to light. Well, I keep thinking like, okay, so what's the purpose behind pouring more military funding? But more military funding means that more places where we can exert our influence, yeah. and isn't that what it's all about? It is. I mm. mean, I've played Civ enough to know that that's world domination is just about how many people you can influence. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, if you can get enough of their stats on your side, then your points are way above everybody else's, and that if that's not, like, yeah. the world right now, then or at any point then I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean, we're still living in a society based around fear, too. Like, mm. I know we were taught as kids that Russia is still the enemy, and then recently China became the enemy. And now we're all like, 
North Korea's the enemy. Like, who the fuck? We have so many enemies now. Well, and not just only... Just take all our money and give it all to the military. Yeah, that, North that's what we're talking about. Korea, but, like, Iraq, Afghanistan, like, we yeah, were talking... Yeah, we're talking okay, so many... Once Saddam Hussein is dead, then, yeah. then we'll, you know, be yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. And then he's dead. Once Osama bin Laden is dead, like, then we'll be fine. Like, then, then the world yeah. will be safe. Okay, well, he's dead, so, like... Why aren't we safe? The Taliban you know? Yeah, and then once the Taliban's dead, we'll be fine. Happened. Once ISIS yeah. is dead, we'll be fine. Oh no, Russia's back. Like what the fuck? Or like anybody who we want to persecute is a yeah. spy for ISIS. Like Obama being a member of ISIS. Oh my god, people, I forgot about why? that. Yeah, because people were like, oh, we just don't want to like him, so we're just gonna say he's definitely ISIS. He's not even American. He's born in Hawaii. That's not America. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, what? There's, there's a. We look at Where's these, his birth certificate? Look at these international enemies <laughs> and be like, oh, it's very easy to convince them. Why can't we do anything at home? We know that there's so many radical white supremacists that exist who are just itching for the day that they can go out and just live in anarchy and do whatever it is that and they want. We're basically getting there. No, they all became cops. That's what happened. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's such an A cab. That is a very domestic issue. Right, we have given power. That's a completely different thing, but right, it's like the power complex. Right, if we have the military, who's gonna say no to us? Right, who's gonna say no to we're gonna go get that oil field to ourselves? You know, you, no one has the military to fight off of you. So you get the first pick and on everything that, in the world. Our military is dumb. Oh, like it is stupid how many people it's we made up have of humans. Our, yeah, and that's a thing that like it, okay, so we boast about never having won a war. Okay, so we're the best at killing other people. Exactly. Well, it's kill or be killed. I mean, in my this is just me and this is why I haven't joined the military, but in my perspective, I'm like Okay, well then kill me because it's not fucking worth it. It's not worth it to be the best at shooting other people. Like it's just fucking not. And yeah. so I would rather just be fucking taken out of the game than have to play it. Mm-hmm. And that's just me maybe digging my heels in on something that I shouldn't dig my heels in on. But it really seems so weird to me to be like, we are, air quotes, the best yeah. at exerting our power, making other people scared of us, murdering other people, murdering innocent people. Is any of that anything that anybody should be bragging about? No. I mean, in my mind. But you can tell people, you know, it's like, oh, America. You know, there's a vast majority. Not majority. There's a vast number of people that do that. I know. know? So the country definitely wants it. And there's an audience for it. And there's the taxpayers for it to fund something like that. But that is so crazy to me because our military is already so much larger. And I don't have specific stats, but probably at least, like, Ten times larger than anybody else's like anyone else's and so why and it's made up you're right of humans it's made up of people who I love it's made up of people who Michael loves like you know it's made up of people that we know and that we love and that we respect and value and so it's really difficult to see them through the through the lens of like ultimately they're just pawns yeah. Um, because they're people that we care about. They're lives that we care about. Like, that's not cool. That It's just about having first dibs on something. It's just about exerting influence. It's just about, like, being able to get oil when and where we want it. Like, 
that's not fair. Like, my family's life isn't worth that. Michael's family's life isn't worth that. It's worth so much fucking more. And I think it's really frustrating to see, like, ultimately it's about being a pawn in a game, which I guess in a meta sense we all sort of are, but the military is, like, very much that way, where it's not even about... It's not even about, like, fighting battles. It's about creating battles and yeah. fighting to mm-hmm. have influence yeah. through those battles. Like, that is what's... It's frustrating. It's frustrating, and uh, to really sum it up in just the gorgeous way that Kevin did, shit's fucked. Yeah, and that's the war of the new <laughs> century. Like, yeah. we don't wage... We don't have actual battleships and tanks rolling up to people's doorsteps. No, 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 no. We can do it in a far, far simpler way in the sense that it won't harm U.S. personnel, you know. Drones. Drones. We have cyber warfare. That's so fucked. Because ultimately, we're still fucking killing people. A lot of which are civilians. So... Um, um, a lot of which are civilians. of which are civilians. Which I'd be fucking pissed, like, if, I don't know, Chicago just got blown up by a drone that somebody else had. Like, that makes no sense. Exactly. It makes no sense. And why is our Chicago better than their Saudi Arabia? Yeah. I don't know. I, what if a I country... I just think of Aladdin, <laughs> I guess. Prince Ali, he's... <laughs> what but if, still, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. why are we... Why is America first? Yeah. Like, why is what we have inherently just better or more important than other people's families, like children and like other civilians? Why is our city more important than their city? That's because everyone has this perception that America is number one. And in their heads, number one means that you're better than everyone. But you're not even number one to begin with. But I think we really need to dismantle that idea as well. Let's take a step back really quickly from all of this Donald Trump and COVID business about why America definitely, obviously, during this uh, leadership, during this uh administration is not the best country. Let's take a step further back. Let's step out of the realm of our own presidency. Let's just talk about the last 20 years. Which countries can you think of have been incredibly mobile with their military, uh, almost to the point of it, them being like conquests in other countries. China. Like China, Russia, the US, North Korea. You can think of, I don't know, maybe one or two other ones. They're not the economically but prosperous ones. Which ones have been economically prosperous, have been topping in education, have been like actually very successful? Japan, South Korea, Japan. Yeah. Uh, Finland is another one that people any, don't talk about. Scandinavian country is probably a yeah, good. like it ones yeah. where we don't even when we think about them we don't even think about their military. You know, it's the ones who I mean Finland. If you guys haven't looked into Finland, look at it because if it wasn't yeah. so cold, we'd all be going there. Mm-hmm. They really have got some shit figured out. Yeah, so just thinking about that from like maybe you can you can have some sort of whatever argument during all of the times of like the World War conflicts where they weren't entirely US like started but the US like ended that shit, right? Like maybe the US is like the best for doing that. And then after that like we haven't done anything. We've done we've done objectively negative things and 
like we just made the comparison, the countries you can compare the U.S. to are not the economically prosperous ones, are not the ones that have high happiness ratings across the world. They're the ones that mobilize their military, are seen as terrorists, and are seen honestly as the enemy by not only the U.S., but by other countries as well. So The U.S. is basically, like, you know in elementary school when you would play, like, Power Rangers on, yeah. like, the playground? And, like, for me, like, everybody always wanted to be the Red Power Ranger or the um, Pink Power Ranger, right? The U.S. is the one that... Like, you're like, hey, we're going to take turns and, like, rotate. That's how me and my friends did it. We would rotate being the pink Power Ranger. Um, but you always tell the U.S., you know, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to rotate. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the pink Power Ranger today because you were it last time. And the U.S. is like, no, I'm going to be the pink Power Ranger. And you're like, okay, well, fuck, this is already really annoying. And then the, the U.S. is the pink Power Ranger that has to save the day. They get to make up the villain, and the villain is only weak to what they've got going on. <laughs> and, like, you're just sitting there in the background, like, all right, well, fuck this bitch. Like, I just wanted to have fun with my recess, yeah. and now this bitch is, like, out here playing this, this whole game in their head that they've made up, that they, like, get to orchestrate and control, and I'm just, like, my lunch is ruined. Yeah, I had, a, I had a similar analogy where I was like, U.S. is the, the guy who was like the high school star uh, like football player, and then he didn't do anything after that, and he's mm-hmm. like in his 30s, like working a dead-end job, like, yeah, well, I, did you see me win state yeah. when I was 16? <laughs> We're like, no, no one fucking remembers that. Or the pink power ranger being like, man, you guys, I really pulled, you know, I really pulled that off. Like, bitch, you made it up. You, you're the only one who can do it. Yeah, yeah like, what, like you, you, you created you, this. <laughs> bitch, this is a... How you gonna create I it and then say you ended? I have unresolved Power Ranger issues <laughs> from my childhood. It's okay. If you ever play the Power Rangers in the house, I'm always the Black Ranger, unless someone I mean, else wants it. But the the U.S. is gonna come in and be like, Nah, bitch, nah. I'm the Black Power Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even like the Black Ranger. It's the White Ranger now. <laughs> it's the appropriated Ranger. That's what we like to call it. Is there a White Ranger? He was. It was the Green Ranger. About to be. He the Green Ranger. Green Ranger turned evil, but then he became good again and became the White Ranger later on. Balance. Avatar. Continue. Chakras. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so all of these secrecy and all of this, you know, public misinformation would be okay if. Interests of the public lined up even a little bit with militaristic interests. But we have seen over the past three major conflicts, right, that that was not the case at all. That once a war is in place, it's very hard to cover it up. You know, like once people are dying and once like all of this money is poured in, you can't just control the information to the public and just hope that they're dumb enough to do that. Thank God the public isn't that dumb. That at least some, all of it isn't, you know? At least some of it recognizes that what just happened was a complete bullshit fucking stunt that was meant to, first off, like, just put some blinds over our eyes and just open our wallets, you know, and our souls to basically the devil. And, you know, and 
not only throughout this did the U.S. harm so many other countries, but they harmed themselves either. So nuclear production would, is not easy. Okay, and nothing about it is easy. So they were actually using a lot of different methods of using it, and they they actually ran an experiment. It was called the Green Run. Okay, and it was in Hanford, Washington, in 1949. Okay, like uh, 7,780 cures of iodine-131, which is very radioactive, was basically dumped in the river as an experiment on citizens to see what would happen. Okay, in America, that is insane. Not only do you cause irreparable harm to the environment, but to your own citizens. Are you kidding me? And there have been so many other atrocities like that that are committed on U.S. soil against U.S. personnel. And yet people are like, oh, if you oppose that, you're not patriotic. You know, like you're a commie or you're a terrorist. You know, they get all these labels put on them when they're really just truly trying to figure things out. And so it's like the, it's like the mass herd you know mentality like all three of you let's say would be again would be with oh we have to go fight the terrorists this is it we're gonna you know enlist and i'm like dude but are we the baddies here like right like and i get shut down shamed or asking for anything like that right like that's what happened that's yeah. exactly what happened you know and it took a massive massive movement massive peace movement to even opened a few people's eyes to what was going on. And even then, they were labeled as hippies, uh, commies, you know, like un-American, you know, again and again and again and again for two decades for saying something like that, you know? So, and now we look back as like, oh, shit, that was fucked up. But in that moment as well, a lot of people knew it was fucked up. But what is it that's, you know, hindsight is sure 2020, but are you really that dumb that you're going to repeat it over and over and over and over? Because ultimately, right, we, we joke about how old everyone in politics is, but it's because they were old, they saw through all of this shit, you know? They were very much alive 50 years ago when this shit happened, you know? So... And not only alive, they were probably born and brought up, like I said, in that mentality. So the policies of today are first up shaped by such a radical mentality of the last century, right? And we have to use that and we're just given that to move forward, right? Which is such a crazy, crazy thing that we're taking a wartime ideology, right? that is meant to pretty much bully people into submission, and we're taking that to the future with us, right? We're gonna take that into space, wherever we go, and that's a terrible, terrible, terrible mentality to have, right? Like, like, like you said, like, most people see it as just kill or be killed, but there's a million other options than that. Maybe in the moment, it doesn't seem like it to you, but the people ordered you to go there had those options yet they chose to not take them right like you know we've had this discussion before that it's very difficult 
to like you said even though we have people in the military right we love them we respect them and you know we like we support them in what it is whatever it is they want to do right but these are the real things that the real things that happen because of people who tell them things who hold back information to them who don't tell them the right things and that is the world we live in right now right and the way it came about is very much having a sphere of influence and expanding that sphere of influence as far as you possibly can right that was the u.s way for half a century and that is the way we live today right so i think that it's some crazy crazy shit um that what do you guys think did did i did i do an okay job of like sort of drawing parallels and lines to our world today oh definitely yeah mm -hmm. i definitely see the linear relationship between the causes of the past and the effects of the current yeah what do you think megan i mean yeah it's frustrating that this is kind of like the hand that we've been dealt yeah like it comes across very like it is what it is this is the hand that you've been dealt and this is like what people are doing and good fucking luck changing it because it's systematic and i don't know so it stresses me out <laughs> <laughs> automatically i get stressed about it because i'm like well it can't just be that simple it can't just be like that that's you know the answer it's very difficult but we're gonna move on to a little bit of a i guess a different note and we're gonna move in to the space race okay what it took for two massive countries to basically look up and be like you know what fuck that dude i want to get there first i want to get to the skies before him and that ushered in a new era of funding that would have never been matched by private industries, you know, and that bleeds into what we have today, right? So whenever World War II ended, right, Germany was so far ahead of anyone else in technology. They were already researching ICBMs. Do you, do you all know what they are? Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles. Uh, oh, okay. Right? So they were already researching that in 1930s. Okay. That is crazy. The thing that Nothing, North Korea is struggling with creating right exactly, now. Exactly. Yeah. And that sort of thing, they had a massive, massive scientific base around that. And after the war ended... U.S. and uh, Soviet Union started splitting up resources left and right to seeing what would happen. Um, have you guys heard of Operation Paperclip? No. No. So Operation Paperclip was basically a U.S. operation in where they would import all of the German Nazi scientists, you know, and some of them that needed to be put on trial would be put on trial, but a lot of them would be withheld by the U.S. to continue the research that Hitler was doing under Nazi Germany, right? And one of them happened to be uh, missiles, you know? There was a person, uh, what was his name? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Werner von Braun. He is basically known as, like, the father of, like, rockets. He... Um, 
he he was one of the scientists that were imported from Operation Paperclip from Germany. And when he came to the U.S., he helped. Uh, this was before NASA. They helped. He helped them build the first um, satellite in space, and it was called Explorer One in 1958. Okay, and it was such a success. That later that year, in 1958, Dwight D. Eisenhower started NASA, you know, North American uh, Space Agency. And, like, it was this... The programs that we had were not U.S. rocket programs, were not Soviet rocket programs. They were German rocket programs that both countries like did split season and just basically recreated the other half of the program. So it was basically what we had for decades after that was built on top of German ingenuity, you know, that came out of Nazis finding the most efficient ways of killing as many people as they could, you know. And at that time, their idea was intercontinental ballistic missiles, which would fly into space and could attack anywhere. Right. That would have been a game changer because Germany could have attacked the U.S., which was before unthinkable to cross an entire ocean and do it, you know. So once NASA was created, NASA, um, it ushered in a new era of space. And at that time, NASA was basically given whatever it is that they wanted to make it happen, you know, and that we'll get into that later. So with NASA, there was another agency created, which eventually became part of the US Air Force. So every non-military thing now that's related to space, or at least at this time, was controlled by NASA. Everything military was controlled by Air Force, you know. And on that, they also developed the National Reconnaissance Office, which was basically putting satellites in space to spy on Soviets and their allies. So, Sure, we were like, oh, we want to get to space, but it was very much rooted in getting an advantage, right? Because whoever's up there first, first off, can brag about it, and second, have every advantage, you know, to get up there and to get information from up there and bring it down, you know? In this case, it would be just basically literally looking at where everything is, you know? And that's an insight that no one could ever give you before, you know? And... So at the next year, uh, Luna 2 was launched, and that was the first probe to hit the moon that was made by the U.S. It just slammed dunk right onto the moon. You know, that was the greatest achievement of that time, you know, like, um, and then in 1961, Soviets had Yuri um, Gorgon as the first person to orbit Earth. And this was a groundbreaking thing for Soviets. They paraded this around as like, oh, this communist economy is so much better that we can do this. And y'all are struggling to even get a like chimpanzee in orbit, you know? Um, and. Ten point ten. Yeah. <laughs> they went through so many. Oh, they went through a lot. It yeah. is a fucking bummer. Yeah. So the same year. Alan Shepard became the first American in space. Did not orbit. He just went to space and came back. That's it. That's all you want to do. 
You want to go on like a space flight, like go up there for a couple of minutes and then come back down. Like, that was cool. And then out of space. And then soon after, in fall, Kennedy made his famous speech. You know that by the end of the decade, we're going to be on the moon. We're going to have a man on the moon. You know, uh, a and Democrat who did something that he promised that he would do. <laughs> Even after he died. <laughs> Just say. Be, so you, because so it was know. not only that, but so imagine your arch nemesis is flaunting around. Oh, we're better than you at this. Oh, we're better than you at this. Oh, we're better than you at this. I don't know. Pancake does that all the time, and I just have learned to suck it up and live with it. Well, you're a better person than America was. You don't have to tell me that. (laughs) I already fucking know. And they were like, you know what? No. You can't have that. So we are going to skyrocket our program. Uh, So from 1961 to 1964, NASA's budget increased by 500%. Okay. Literally six times. They employed 34,000 people and they had almost 400,000 workers like in the industrial complex helping them out, creating and manufacturing. And that's kind of insane that it takes that a private company could have never made that happen. Space is had to have been funded by massive generational governments, right? In order to even reap the benefits of it. Like NASA was created in 1950s and it is today or you know that we still gain like information and valuable things from NASA. Right? It's a half a century long endeavor, more than half a century in order to get where we need to today. That's the Type of funding that made way for SpaceX, Blue Origin, you know, to and basically open the way for private companies to carve out space for their own greed. Which, it, thank God they have, though, because Space Force surely isn't doing any uh-huh. of that. And so now all of us are turning to Elon Musk and SpaceX and we're like, hey, please help us accomplish our goals. And yeah. he says, of course. My loyal following, my commoners, will do, will do spill, baby doll. I'll put a Tesla on Mars. No, no worries. Can make it happen. So thank God, because we need it at this point. It's the only yeah. thing getting us, like, any results. Mm-hmm. True. So, um, and then in 1968, well, so NASA actually had a lot of setbacks, In 1967, three astronauts were killed in like a live simulation of liftoff uh, because of the the capsule was completely pressurized with oxygen. And somewhere along the way, spark went off and everyone died a very, very fiery death. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. but a year after that, we had our first manned moon orbit, Apollo 8. Uh, and then the next year was 1969, which was Apollo 11. That's where Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and uh, 
That third guy, nobody else can remember. And the third guy. <laughs> and the third guy. <laughs> and that other That guy dude. sucks because he never... <laughs> he stayed in the capsule and he never got onto the moon. Yeah. Not only didn't he get to experience that, like, people like me don't even remember his name. It's like an afterthought. He was probably doing something, like, an important duty yeah. by staying on the ship so that the other two could go explore the moon and he's not remembered <laughs> he's at all. He's taking one for the team. He, poured, he pulled a short straw and <laughs> now people think that he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> or, or hear me out Buzz and Neil were like Bitch you cannot taint the moon With your negative energy Okay nobody else has been on to The moon and we are Excited about it and you're not And so you stay on the ship because the moon Doesn't fucking need it not today And the guy was like Fine <laughs> He was like fuck it dude fine You heard the transcript <laughs> here first That's exactly what went down So it's basically People say that because that U.S. was the first person onto the moon, they won the space race, right? Like, you can think of it however you want, but the U.S. got there first, and I don't know if they won it or not, because who cares about that? Okay, but right. let's talk about races. Normally, the first one there is the winner, so... I mean, like, maybe this is just all of my American education background coming around, but that does sound like a win to me. Sure. Um, I think we, we lost, we lost the sure. space race. We won the moon race. Because Soviet Union had a person in space first, but we had people on the moon first. Well, space is a huge place, right? Like, you can you can call it whatever you There's want. There's room for all of us. Yeah. Except the Soviet Union. They, they can get <laughs> Not out of here. <laughs> Not them. <laughs> but... So Soviets actually failed four times to go to the moon, and they had massive and public failures with, like, the first mm. two didn't result in a loss of life. That's what they say. But the second two killed, like, four or, like, five people each, which is, like, you know, which is still a huge setback. Maybe but we had the Challenger. Yeah. So let's uh, not forget uh, that even oh after God. this happened... We were like, let's send a teacher up to space. And they oh. were so excited. And then we let kids sit down and watch a that teacher was shown in blow schools. up. Yes. Yeah, it was. I forgot. Yeah. So, listen, we're not perfect on that either. So, in the... Uh... Dev wants to graze over <laughs> the Challenger launch. Oh, no, that's, that's just a, a dark block. It is. It's from the 80s, and it is a fucking bummer. Do you know that that is kind of the reason why we never really tried to go back into space? Like, that, like, gun-ho. Good on us for that, because that was... You have no idea. They... The mishaps... I just listened to the My Favorite Murder, like, episode on it um, yesterday, and so I didn't know that there were as many things going into it. They delayed it three times because they knew the ship wasn't ready, but by the third time, they were like, well, we've already delayed it twice before, so... Or, I mean, three times before, so I guess we just have to do it. Like, they already knew it was questionable. The patents were, like, not holding up or something like that. Yeah, like, there was a lot of issues that were known about before that happened, and they did it anyways. And so I think it, good on good on everybody who is like, hey, maybe we dial it back for a moment and stop trying, <laughs> yeah. stop trying that, um, to do that again. You know, this 
that's kind of like crazy though that actually happened on live TV. Yeah. yeah. That is kind of insane. And it was just a teacher. It was a teacher, and she yeah. wanted it so bad. You know, they had to write um, eleven essay portions, eleven, and there were like thirty thousand people who applied. They thought that writing, having them write eleven like big long essays, would make it so it would deter a lot of people. And they still had like thirty thousand people who wrote all of the eleven essays. Like, yeah. It's fucked, man. That is fucked. Goddamn. Anyways, uh, Russia did some did some of that too. Oh, they did a lot of it, but you can imagine that a failure would not be made nearly as public. You know, as a success. What? That's weird. <laughs> huh. The only ones that they actually owned up to is that people saw the capsule burn up. Mm. You know. So, <laughs> who knows what happened? And they were like, "Man, there definitely was not a person in that <laughs> capsule. No, uh, I repeat, not a person in that capsule. It was like a dog. Still so, terrible." So during this time, uh, the person who was the head administrator of NASA was James Webb. And we'll, this is a, a teaser to another episode, maybe in the future, that, you know, that we're launching the James Webb Telescope, supposedly next year, but it's gotten delayed like five times already, so I expect it to be delayed another five times. So let's say somewhere in the future, it's going to launch, and it's supposed to revolutionize the uh, astronomy field more than the Hubble Telescope. So let's see what happens, you know, let's appear into the unknown. Um, so another dude who's known as pretty much the father of propulsion, uh, Robert H. Goddard, said that it is difficult to say what is possible. For the dream of yesterday is the hope of today and the reality of tomorrow. Right. And who knows if it wasn't because of this intense attrition between two massive superpowers that we would even looked up there and be like that is the next frontier that we want to conquer you know um so this for better or worse what we have today related to space did come out the cold war you know it came out of this need for each country to try to and totally annihilate the other country you know in every possible way you know, and that's where we, that's where NASA was born out of, you know. So, it's a very controversial uh, upbringing of NASA, but it's done what it's done. And like we said, this is about how the policies of the past are influencing our present and our future. You know, then space race was one of them. And basically get to like around the ending of the cold war you know space race went on for like 15 years after that and it wasn't much of a race it was basically a blowout every time the u.s beat russia in almost every single statistics after that so um it wasn't really much of a race anymore it was just like eh, 
sure, we'll let you have your own rocket program. Um, and through this entire ordeal, you know, we know how the U.S. struggled and persevered, you know, through all of this. So Russians have their own version of the story. And it was a lot of sucking it up and just working and working and working and working. But you can only do that so much until you see the world around you and be like, you know what? I want that. I don't want this. You know? So eventually a lot of countries started to be like, you know what? No, 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 no. We're going to have our own elections, right? And then we'll see what happens. So in 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev, y'all have heard of him, right? Mm -hmm. So he's the one who came into power and he adopted this policy of openness and it was basically a revolutionary policy for the entire Soviet bloc. And he was like, you know what? We'll just let these countries what they want to do. Uh, do what they want to do. So in 1989, Poland elected a very astute, like, like against communist leader, like a, and he was like, oh, we're going to throw the Soviets out of our country. We're going to reclaim what is ours. And everyone in the world thought that Gorbachev was going to send and his entire military to suppress the entire, uh, suppress the election and instill his own figurehead. But he didn't do that. And because he didn't do that, that started an entire wave of countries being like, you know what? We want our freedom too. Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And they all saw that and be like, you know what? If he's going to let them do that, maybe we should try for it too. You know, and slowly the influence of like the entire Soviet Union started to diminish because people wanted to leave. They didn't want to be a part of the losing side anymore, right? Or at least, you know, that's what was perceived because of an entire half a century long war. So eventually it all came to a stop for the Soviet Union. And in, um, so there was a coup attempt at one point, like hard, hardcore, like Soviet sympathizers tried to overthrow Gorbachev and be like, oh, we're going to go back to the way we were. But the next uh, who, who would be the leader, Boris Yeltsin, who stopped the uprising, but he's like, you know, Gorbachev, get the fuck out of here. We don't need you anymore. We're going to have our own country. And then they declared Russia as a state, you know, so sure the country who lasted was uh, the US but ultimately everyone went through a giant ordeal in order to make it happen so it influenced the entire world that's why it's called the world war like in, in the sense you think oh, the countries are fighting but it wasn't just like a like straight up Fight. It was, but it was also a fight of politics, fight of ideology, fight of basically rights going forward into the future, right? What it is going to be important to us because the world was changing. The world was changing very drastically, right? We saw in like World War II, World War I, World War II, and then the Cold War, the technology bloom of it, 
So the world was all changing and it was just everyone was trying to carve up what they could to our, to themselves, you know. Um, but you know, that comes to the late 90s and basically what we have today, which we're all very familiar with, right? So I just wanted to give a little bit of a more in the past, like, like an input of what the economy was like, what the ideology was like, to paint us a sort of picture to let us see why we have the things we have today, or at least try to glimpse at it, you know? Because it's a very important topic, right? Like, uh, like, I keep saying it, but it did shape our life today. Everything we do is because of something like this, right? It's because of this hugely influential, like, global conflict that, will, that has shaped all of our birth and it will shape our future as well a lot more than we would like to first off know or think well and it's also um kind of uh shaping our like i don't want to say like political ideology but sort of how we really like take politics as part of our identity like mm -hmm. this nationalism and stuff it yeah. influences that. I mean, this type of blind faith in our country definitely, like, was what was taught back then. Like, you just yeah. need to blindly trust us. And anybody who questions that isn't loyal or is a libtard or, like, whatever. It deserves to yeah. be demeaned and talked down to when it's really the people with blind faith who are letting ignorance kind of win over. Um in their minds and I think that that's definitely because you always wonder like why are people like that where did that start why is it always the old people that are so yeah. willing to just blindly trust um but it's definitely like a I don't know a thought process if you would call it that um it's more like an absence of thought process but yeah. that has been kind of instilled for a really long time and that we're just now kind of seeing come to play in stronger and more terrible ways um but definitely like has been those those seeds have been planted and watered for a really long time mm -hmm. and they are just now like really blooming and kind of taking yeah. over i think but people have been awful for fucking forever yeah like i i always think that this is like the most terrible it's ever been but it isn't necessarily the most terrible part about it is that it's been just as terrible before and we keep letting it happen we keep letting it be terrible yeah. like we yeah. keep we've seen this before this is a you know another yet another civil rights movement which is important and necessary and we will have as many as we need for these problems to be solved but why are they so hard to be solved like why is it anybody against civil rights why like you're saying, these seeds have been sowed and yeah. they've been watered, and those roots, yeah. those roots go yeah. deep. Those roots and go people will so refuse to get rid of them unnecessarily deep. It makes though. no sense. Like it's like those weeds in our backyard where you're like, why, well, why, go where did away. you fucking come from? <laughs> well, fear and ignorance was the key <laughs> playing factor in the Cold War, right? Of why you yeah. even got that far. So like I said, these people were born and brought up in that mentality for such a long time that they don't know any better. They literally don't know any better. 
you know. So, and it was very recently, up until the 90s. That's very recent, okay? Like, and those are now the people who are making policies, right? Those are all, who, which 30-year-old do you know in politics is a senator or uh, like a house representative? AOC is, is my token example. Is she? she is 28 or 29. What? Yeah, she's I know. She's, the what? She's, mm-hmm. she's the youngest she's one. She's actually she's dope that, That's why her getting voted is such a big thing. Yeah, because she no. like Hell yeah. dethroned no, no, somebody no, no. who has been... Yeah, she is Dude, like dope. in our age group. Yeah. Um, And Wait. she's so outspoken. She's fucking making change. Mm-hmm. Like, it is amazing. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. amazing. But... I wish but aside, more of that. It's aside the one from person, my token yeah. example, it's a we need more. We need more like that. Yeah, we, we, we all more. know just one. That's why that's I it. think that we need to lower the age for um, being able to be president, lower the age for being able to run, lower the ages for everything, because we think that we're taking these seasoned, experienced people, but what we're really doing is shaving off a huge portion, actually the largest portion of the debit, like of the voting demographic. The largest voting demographic is not allowed to run, is not allowed to be anything except for basically a senator or um, a congress member. Um, and even that, I think you have to wait till you're 25. But we are the largest voting group. And so if we could get like people to represent us and our interests, that would be a game changer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there shouldn't be... I, I know this exclude like this would exclude Bernie and that sucks, but you know, for every for every Bernie in that age group there's mm-hmm. like a million uh Mitch Trumps. McConnells. And well, the, I don't want to say that. The fact of the matter also is that Bernie has made a huge impact. Like we think that he mm-hmm. has so much potential and that's true. But he has gone through in the past and made a huge impact. He is like the definition of like bloom where you are planted. Like, he has been the mayor, he's been the governor, he has been a senator, like, he has been basically making a huge impact his entire life, and so, yes, he is shining, and, you know, we could have him do that for forever, but he's also done that, like, in his seats, and we need to give a platform for more people, more Mm -hmm. young people to do that. Because that's the problem, is that he's an old, straight, white man that's been Mm -hmm. in politics for decades uh and we shouldn't have to wait and pray for that anomaly of a person Mm -hmm. like once our age group has grown and gone through the politics and gets old enough to make that kind of influence to be that kind of influence you know we only hope that we'll be representing the interests of the people younger than us but there's no guarantee for that i think there should absolutely be an age cap on uh, the presidency, there should be an mm-hmm. age cap that's probably a little higher, but not that much higher for Congress people, uh, Supreme Court justices. All of that should be maxed out 65. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. 65 is the maximum, and that's a hot take, but I don't give a fuck. Like, this, honestly, the 65-year-olds, this is going to be so terrible, but they are an increasingly smaller voting base. They just are. One, because there are a lot of diseases that afflict you, uh, racism being a large one, um, but also, you know, Alzheimer's, death. Uh, that type death of is stuff. Death. death is death a disease. Is, that is the ultimate disease. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, pretty fatal. Yeah. Um, but all I'm saying is, <laughs> like, that is a, every single moment that voter, that voter base 
gets smaller. Yeah. And every single moment, the 18 to 30 voter base gets larger. And so, like, I think that you should cap it out at 65 because, honestly, the largest amount of voices are people who are under 65. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, people over 65 can vote. You just can't yeah, run for anything exactly. anymore. In just the same way that people be... under 35 can vote mm-hmm. but can't run. So why is that not work both yeah. ways? Yeah, that's what I don't get. Like, why is it such a hot, a hot take to say that we should have a maximum age? Something, something, life experience. It's all been bullshit since the start. Experience is bullshit. Yeah. I'm telling you But right let now. me tell you about my life experience of shootings, shooter drills, like, you know, a crumbled economy, Um, having to work for a minimum wage that is a fraction of what the minimum wage needs to be in order to support myself. Like, those, I think, are valuable life experiences. Experience recency is more important than experience longevity, 100%. Mm -hmm. That's the important thing to remember. And those are things that people over the age of 60, in general, cannot relate to. And they'll they'll be the first ones to tell you. They'll be the first ones to tell you that when they were our age, they could work a part-time job and pay their way through college. They'll be the first ones to brag about, you know, when they were our age, they didn't have to worry about shooter drills. They'll be the first ones to brag on that shit. So, great. Like, that proves my point. You cannot relate to my reality and therefore do not deserve to be a controlling factor in it. All these old people claim experience, but yet they never learn anything from their mistakes to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, fucking same thing over and over and over again. So let us tell you what I tell everyone every episode: fucking vote, vote just vote. And now is the time to request your absentee ballots if you haven't already. It is. Um, please, definitely, uh, Instagram, Discord, Facebook, everywhere is making it accessible. And I've had questions, you know, proposed to me about the validity or the security of that. It is valid. It is safe. Um, in Colorado, I grew up in Colorado voting, doing a mail-in ballot every single year. Um, it is perfectly secure, but also you can always drop it off at your local representative's um, center where it's going to be counted if you don't want to trust um, it, you know, just being in the mail. You can drop it mm-hmm. off. It's somewhere local. It's somewhere in your county, um, and it will have the address, I believe, on the ballot. When you get it, you will have the address that you can personally drive it yourself to, and that is the location where it will be counted. Um So it's safe, it's secure, and most importantly, it's fucking important. And just, I know that we're going to drag on this for a little bit, but the last thing I have to say is, oh my God, it was so easy to request my absentee ballot. I thought it was going to be, I have to fill out an entire form and then send it somewhere. It was three questions that you could have done in the same time that it would take you to post a fucking Facebook status or a tweet. It literally took... 15 maybe 20 seconds for me to request my ballot and it's like you're done i was like my god that was easy if you're registered to vote not registered to vote that takes a little bit longer but, but if you only are only a little bit only just a little bit. you just have to only have a, a state bit. id and it pulls your information from that so as long as you have that number then you can register also very easily and once you're registered it's incredibly easy to keep 
um, requesting absentee ballots to um, check your registration status. I check it multiple times because Georgia does have a habit of just randomly deregistering people. So mm. keep checking it, keep making sure that you're registered, and definitely uh, it is not a difficult process to request your absentee ballots. At the risk of sounding condescending, for 99.999%, maybe even more than that, of the population, this is the most important thing that you can and will do in your life. So please spend five minutes doing the most important thing that mm -hmm. you can do at least this year, definitely this decade, mm -hmm. and maybe for your entire life. And this is like, yeah, I think this is going to be a deciding election on a lot of things and in a lot of ways. And again, even if you want to stay out of like the presidential stuff, you know, you don't want to dabble in that. There are things on your ballot that impact you directly. Uh, they are county, they are local, they are city. Um, you vote on way more of those amendments and those um, proposals um, than you will on any president. So at least get your ballot in order to vote on local things that do absolutely impact you directly. Things like where your taxes go to. Would you rather they go to infrastructure or jails? Would you rather they go towards education or jails I, or jails i can't think of another <laughs> thing that taxes go to but at the same time like those are the types of things that do matter um would you rather you have less taxes taken out uh would you rather your minimum wages increased would you i can think of a million things that have been on my local ballots things like legalizing marijuana things like indentured servitude for inmates um there there was one where they talked about not paying um jail inmates for their labor which i'm definitely against i think that they should at least be paid their what like 25 cents an hour uh that they get so that way they have a seed fund when they get out of jail that's a huge part in rehabilitation those are the types of things on your ballot that have nothing to do with who's president nothing to do with who your senators are or whatever um and also your judges uh, like your Supreme Court judges and your local judges are on those ballots. So whose face do you want to see when you get a ticket? That type of stuff. So it's all very important. And that is my PSA. I guess both of our PSAs. It really is so important. I really no. mean it. Go vote. It's Please important. go vote. 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 <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. Please go vote. Your homework assignment from us this week is just to request your absentee ballot, or if you live in a state where it's just mailed to you, then congratulations, you don't have homework. Um, thank you to everybody who's listened. Thank you to everybody who is an active part of our lives and gives us feedback and gives us a ton of positive stuff. Um, have a great week. Our longest episode yet. Oh, Is it really? Let's so get it. Sorry. So I texted. Uh, it's a good one. No, it was a good one. It was